why do we do performance appraisals? We talk about wanting to have teamwork and collaboration, yet we set up, we create systems where we have people competing and blaming and judging each other and ranking and rating each other. What, what kind of thinking is that? Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risks. But to win big, you've got to reduce it. This episode is sponsored by ASTOTS Academy, which offers online courses that help investors, aspiring professionals, business leaders, and even beginners to improve the finances of their lives and of their businesses. Go to myworstinvestmentever.com to claim your discount on the course that excites you the most. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stotts, and I'm here with featured guest, Marsha Dashko. Marsha, are you ready to rock? Really ready to rock. <laughs> I can feel that. Let's go. I can feel that. We've had a great discussion leading up to this, so I'm looking forward to sharing some of that with the audience. So let me introduce you to the audience. So Marsha is one of the world's leading business strategists and catalysts for leadership and organizational transformation. She believes and teaches innovation in leadership thinking. She has 25 years of proven success as a founder and CEO of a consulting firm, Marsha Dashko and Associates, and is an executive team workshop facilitator. In addition, she is a researcher, graduate level teacher, a keynote speaker, an award-winning writer and communicator, and an executive advisor to Fortune 500 corporations, private companies, government agencies, educational institutions, and global nonprofit organizations. And ladies and gentlemen, she's recently published her book, Pivot, Disrupt, Transform, How Leaders Beat the Odds and Survive. That you can find on Amazon. And you know what's interesting is I was just on Amazon and I was looking at your reviews and you have 4.9 out of five, which is pretty darn impressive so far. So congratulations on that. Maybe you could take Thank a minute you. and fill any further tidbits about your life. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here and help you rock this show. And oh, further tidbits. I was so fortunate to transform personally from being excruciatingly shy to meeting Dr. W. Edwards Deming and Dr. Perry Gleckman, who were my mentors and taught me a new philosophy of leadership. Mm. And so it made me question so many thousands of things, beliefs and assumptions in my life that then have now transformed. And I help other people question the way that we currently do things and that might not always give us the results that we want. Interesting. You know, I, it would be great. We'll talk for a few minutes before we get into the question. And I want to warn the audience, we're going to take a little <laughs> bit different tack. There's going to be some really interesting discussions on this one. But I, there's a lot of people out there that are listening. I would say the majority of people have never even heard of a man named W. Edwards Deming. And maybe in a, in a little short snippet, you could tell us who was this man? Why was he significant? Dr. Deming was 
a man invited by General MacArthur to go to Japan after World War II and help them come out of the crisis. So he helped Japan become a global competitor in a matter of a few years. And it was, I think, a shock to the world as that happened. But Dr. Deming told the Japanese, if you learn my philosophy of leadership and management, you can become a global competitor. And so he said in non-air conditioned rooms with hundreds or thousands of people, managers in Japan, he would begin teaching at eight in the morning and would be still teaching after 8 p.m. at night. And they diligently were studying what he was teaching them. Hmm. And what was so interesting about what he was teaching? I mean, was he just like a statistic teacher or why would people line up to attend that course? I don't think that they really knew what they were getting into, but when he talked to the leaders of the country and he talked to General MacArthur, they knew that he could make a difference and they knew, they believed that he could help them. So yes, he was a PhD statistician. He had helped with the Census Bureau in the United States and he also was helping them with that. And he had worked with the manufacturing organizations who were working on the, like the war machine before we won World War II in the United States. So we were, in the United States, we were applying Dr. Deming's philosophy of management. But then after we won the war and we were, we had been so productive and we were, you know, cranking out all the the war materials that we needed, people didn't want that philosophy anymore. They didn't think that they needed to be efficient or productive or think about new ways. They, they, were, they had won and they, that's all they wanted to think about. So mm. that's mm. when General MacArthur invited him to Japan. And if you could summarize, now, now let maybe just briefly describe your interactions with him. You've actually met him. Yes, I was fortunate. I was in the right place at the right time. My first career was corporate communications and marketing, and I was hired by a small consulting firm in the San Francisco Bay Area to help market that firm. And it was owned by Dr. Perry Gluckman. Perry was a good friend of Dr. Deming. So when I started working with Perry, I was doing some marketing. And then one day Perry said, I want you to help get more business. And I said, what am I selling? And that's when he sent me off to Dr. Deming's four-day seminar in San Diego. He was holding it there at the Del Coronado. And so in that room of about 1,500 senior executives across all sectors, I began to listen to Dr. Deming, who at that time was in his 80s. He did not talk you know, crisp and clearly at that time, but also he was using a vocabulary that I was not at all familiar with. Variation and systems and 
XBRR charts and, and so forth. It was just foreign to me. And so I went, when I went back to the office, I said to Perry, you know, my, my manager, I said, what was he talking about? And he said, don't worry, I'll teach you. And I began to study and learn, and we would have four and five hour conversations about Dr. Deming's concepts. After a few months, I said, Perry, I think I want to go hear Dr. Deming again. And he sent me off. And at that second four-day seminar that I attended, the organizer, Dr. Nancy Mann, introduced me to Dr. Deming. And she told him that I worked with Perry. And since they were good friends, he said, fantastic, I'll help teach you as well. So I had two amazing mentors in my life, and I began to learn not only Dr. Deming's philosophy, but with the work that Perry and the statisticians were doing, the consultants in our company were doing, I learned how to apply Dr. Deming's philosophy. And so I went through that for the next, well, the next, I attended 20 of Dr. Deming's means four-day seminars over the next few years. Mm, that's amazing, 20. And now I was lucky enough to attend two, and they, I believe they were two-day seminars at the time. One was in 1990 and one was in 1992 when Dr. Deming, Dr. Deming passed away in 1993. But I remember the energy, and I remember him teaching you know, all day. And I was just so impressed. In fact, there's so many things about Dr. Deming that, that impacted me for the rest of my life. And there's very few people that you come across that really turn your mind upside down. But I want to ask you a question about this. There's, there's listeners out there. There's a lot of young people out there that are studying things like statistical quality control and Six Sigma and Black Belt and all these different mm-hmm. things. And in a sense, what they're doing is they're, they're becoming experts in the use of the tools of quality. Dr. Deming wasn't really about the tools of quality. I thought that's what I was getting into when I went, like, I'm going to learn from this guy how to make this kind of chart or that kind of thing. And what I learned was that there was just something much different or much deeper than the tools. And I wonder if you could just explain briefly to the listeners out there who are interested in quality, maybe they have already you know, studied the, the tools. What is it different about Dr. Deming's teaching? Dr. Deming taught about transformation, not mere change, not mere even continual improvement. He focused us on quality, a customer, creating a system to deliver results like never before, continually transforming, not just changing. And yes, you you use some tools because he, he taught us the system of profound knowledge. That's what he called it. And it was about systems thinking, statistical thinking, theory of psychology about people and what mm. motivates them, and theory of knowledge. How do we plan and continually, as he used the PDSA, plan, do, study, act, and how do we continually use that way of thinking And the more and the faster we use that PDSA, the faster we learn, the the faster we can get to that competitive edge because we're learning, working, improving, and innovating 
together. And he was all about break down the barriers, break down the silos, break down the hierarchies, get out of the traditional mindsets that we have created. A major question that I always am asking with when I'm talking to people is, are you getting the results that you want? Because if you're not, step back and look at the system that's delivering those results. It's not about the individuals. It's not about holding individuals accountable, which is a huge, in my, in my book, I have the first section is stop. Stop all of these quote unquote best practices and management fads that are actually harming our people and our organizations and our bottom line. Dr. Deming basically gave us a fork in the road. We can go with the management fads and best practices, or we can learn a philosophy of management that has a theoretical foundation. And if we learn that, we can make a difference in the world. We can have an impact. We can have a competitive edge. We can keep innovating. It's awesome. That's exciting. Well, I think the audience knows you now pretty well and your background. And also, I think it's a great introduction to Dr. Deming so that those people that are interested, first of all, you know, go check out Marsha's book because you'll see her evolution of Deming's thinking and how that applies, you know, into her way of thinking now and her way of helping companies. But now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one ever goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstance leading up to it and then tell us your story. And ladies and gentlemen, Marsh is going to take this away on her own direction. So go. <laughs> so go. Well, we, then we will never know where we're going to end up because that's, that's been my life. <laughs> I, I had no idea, you know, meeting, meeting Perry and Dr. Deming, the opportunities the possibilities. That's why I don't plan too far in advance because I want to keep navigating. You know, if there's a challenge or crisis, it's like, okay, that's fine. Here it is. Let's keep moving. Let's learn and work together. And what is, what else do we want and need? And so I think that was a big investment, which is normal mm -hmm. that I made you know, as a, as a good student, as a, as a good, I had a great work ethic and moving forward, it's like, you just go like, okay, I was in school. I got good grades. I made a Dean's list, all these sorts of things. Then I go to a job and I, I need want to do well on my performance appraisals. Not that I work for that, but it is a reflection and that's what all of those things we've put in place in our organizations, whether it's education or corporate or we, we run into this all over where we're judged and criticized and blamed and so forth for the results of a system. Mm -hmm. So I needed to, and with, with Perry and Dr. Deming's help, I learned how to question everything if someone has, you know, great titles in big companies and so forth, I had them on a pedestal. Well, also when you put people on a pedestal, the only place they have to go is down. They'll fall because they can't know it all. 
But I learned question everything. Question, you know, why do we do performance appraisals? We talk about wanting to have teamwork and collaboration, yet we set up, we create systems where we have people competing and blaming and judging each other and ranking and rating each other. What, what kind of thinking is that? What, what have we done to each other? So many companies, organizations that go out of business or struggle and falter, it's not because of, it's not because they're of the outside competition, it's because of the internal competition, the internal practices and systems that we put in place and can, that make the can organization I, self-destruct. Can I ask about this? Because, you know, in a sense, what you're describing is your worst investment ever was really an inadvertent, you know, uh, commitment to societal norms. Exactly. You know, that society tells us this is the way to do things. And as a citizen of a country, as a citizen of the world, we don't want to fight against all that stuff. Number one, fighting against that stuff is we learn at a young age is a very difficult battle. And number two, we, we believe at a young age that what we're being taught is the right thing. I mean, how could it not be? Right. So in a sense, what you're describing is an investment in the status quo that we all are invested in. And then what you're trying to explain sounds interesting because what you're saying is that you had to break free of that. Now, I want to just ask one question before we talk about how you broke free and what it meant. But the question I have is, do most people break free? Is it common? Is it uncommon? What do you think? It is uncommon. I don't think most people break free because like me, I was being a good student. I was being a good worker. I was being a good contributor, a good citizen. A, you know, I had the life plan, you know, to, you know, grow up and do this and then this and then this and just follow that plan. And there was nothing in a sense wrong about having that life. But I discovered that after meeting Perry and Dr. Deming, my education started when I was, when I met them when I was in my early 30s. Mm. And then, like I had this, you know, it's not saying, you know, reading, writing, arithmetic isn't bad, but it's like when I teach my MBA classes or I teach an executive team and they go, Marsha, we've never thought like this, or Marsha, you know, we've been in school for like 16 years or something. Why are we just learning this now? Why are we just learning we need to optimize, not maximize the system? Why, do, why are we just learning a new vocabulary, new foundational things? And this is all about leadership. So it's about people studying leadership, but not the traits and not the, the latest buzz and management fads, but instead they really have to go foundational. That's why, you know, and even one of the first books that I share with everyone that I, I talk to is The Goal. That book is more than 30 years old, written by Goldratt, 
Mm. But, and it's a fiction book, but it is powerful. And so I, I introduce, you know, to people, read the goal and then read my book and then begin to study, but try to study with some other people that definitely want to challenge the way things are done. You want to let go of the status quo, just question everything and think about what's our aim? What are we trying to accomplish? Who are we serving? And that method in the middle, that those systems and processes, do they make sense? So you're always needing to be sense-making. Does it make sense? Are we getting the results that we want? If not, stop, back up, question, question, question. Hmm. Many, many people brainstorm ideas. No, don't brainstorm ideas. Brainstorm questions. You have to start at the strategic level, not at the analytical. Those are the easy parts. Like you mentioned, uh, tools. Tools are easy. I was thinking about, you know, one of the things about Dr. Deming that I always found interesting was that he was, he was kind of abrupt and impatient at times. And, you know, he was trying to, in a way, disrupt, using the word from your title, disrupt our thinking or interrupt our thinking to yes. get us to question. Because I think in some ways you could argue that it would, it's hard to convince people to think differently. You've got to kind of jolt them into some reality. And he did it through stories. He did it through, you know, tough, you know, I can remember a question that somebody was raising at one of the seminars and the person said, they prefaced their question by saying, since you're the father of TQM, oh. <laughs> quality management, and oh, Dr. No. Deming, you know, standing and he said, what is TQM? And the audience was like, what? Has this guy lost his mind? And then, you know, he said, well, you know, total quality management. I mean, you're the guy that, no, I didn't. That's not mine. I'm giving you a different way of thinking about things. I'm giving you a scientific method of learning. I'm giving you something very different from whatever it is that you're labeling and all that. And it was those kind of disruptive ways of speaking that, I never forgot. And it made me question, you know, much more of everything that I heard. And that's, that's what makes his teaching out of all my different teachers in my life, that his teaching really turned so many things upside down. And I just wonder, you know, from your own thinking now, as you've developed over the years, what things have been turned upside down compared to the conventional norms? (laughs) My life? I mean, totally. Like I said, my path was, you know, pretty mellow. And my life since learning about Dr. Deming and feeling now that my job, I have a responsibility to make a difference, to help people to learn, to question. It's like, you know, if a If a business owner says, Marsha, I want your help to take us from 30 to 40 million, can you do it? And they don't even have a management team that will speak to each other. And we go offsite, we turn that around in two days so that when they leave, they're hugging each other. And then we shift to, okay, I I don't 
I don't want you to have an arbitrary numerical goal because I have no idea where we're going to go. I'm mm -hmm. thinking, yeah, you know, 40 million, that's, that's fine. But the minute I hear numbers, they, I know you're a finance guy, but they're, <laughs> they're out of my mind. And with that one client, we went from 30 to 300 million. Nice. And the thing is, don't limit yourself. Keep learning and and building and having fun together. Dr. Deming was all about, you know, joy and learning, joy in life, having fun. And I think we need to be a whole person from the heart and yeah. helping each other. I mean, it's interesting because I brought together my thinking on Dr. Deming with my experience in finance and Whenever I teach finance, I always tell my students right from day one, my first thing I say is finance adds no value. And it's a little bit shocking, like Dr. Deming did a lot of shocking things, you know, said things that were shocking. What I mean by that is that the creation of value is through products and services. The creation of value is by satisfying the, the desires or the needs of the customer. And finance is just a tool to measure the outcome of management hypothesis. A management team thinks, okay, if we really focus on X, Y, Z, it's going to produce a great result. Customers are going to be satisfied. They're going to buy more. Well, the financial measures are a way to, to answer the question, did it work? So in a way, Dr. Deming teaches this plan, do, study, act cycle. And finance can be a very good tool that's testing the outcome of that. Now, the testing takes longer and you, you can't, Dr. Deming was very, you know, key on saying that, you know, it's not about quarterly results and it's not about monthly numbers. It's about the endless opportunities that we can create. But finance can provide us a tool, one of the tools in our toolbox to understand what's the impact. And you just used it by saying that that revenue grew to 300 million. Finance allows us to measure that and see it and identify its significance. So I think that's a, a major thing that I learned that Dr. Deming you know, said that the most important things in life are immeasurable. As I always tell my students, can you measure the value of a hug in a time of need? Yes. Who would want to do that? Who would want to measure that? They'd be crazy. So I just want to now go through and ask you the next question, which is, as you look back now on your life, you've told us about your experience, your development, and your transformation and your thinking and the way you think now. My question is, as you look back on this, what lessons did you learn? There are so many thousands, and they're in every part of life whether it's to let go of so many things like the grades and the performance appraisals and, and those things. But more importantly, it is what were we trying to accomplish before we let all of those things get on in our way? So for example, when I was teaching a, an MBA class at UC Berkeley and the first night of class, I told the students that if they did these few things, 
everyone would get an A. And it took them three weeks to believe me. But once they did, they put aside the thinking about the grade. And then I taught a class at another university. And the first night, I said the same thing to them. And I said, well, if we're not going to focus on the grade, what should we focus on? And one young guy kind of quietly said, learning. <laughs> and I said, wow, isn't that amazing? We can focus on learning together. And I also told him to put their computers away. We don't need those. That's a tool that we didn't need. And the learning that we went through was experiential. Exercise after exercise, I would put them in the exercises and, and I wouldn't use the PowerPoint. I wouldn't say, you're gonna learn this. After the exercise, I would ask and ask and ask, what did you learn? And then I would say, okay, how can you apply it? How can you apply it to your work? Because they were all working mm. in, in industry at that time. Uh, it's so, they were shocked. Yeah, it's so They were shocked that there was something new. It's like, this is my last class of my MBA program. Why am I just learning this now? I don't know. You know I'm sorry. It, it, it's interesting that in some ways, uh, if you look at artists, and people who have work that is expressing themselves, performing arts, and other types of, of educations. It's like they say about business that they don't, they don't like it because it, they, they can't express themselves. You know, it's uh, you're like in a box. When did we ever get to the point where business has to be in a box? Why are we at that point? You know, where human potential is now limited by the fact that you have to get a certain KPI or else you're not going to get your bonus. And that bonus is limited. So you're going to be taking it from someone else in the company. So internal competition is one of the things that we've created that takes away from the joy of learning, that takes away from the massive potential that we have, because now yes. you just got to hit this item, this number. Yes. And that's, I think, you know, when I listen to what you have to share about it, you know, that that's some of the stuff that I, I take away. And I think the other thing that I take away is, you know, what I, I teach ethics for CFA, for financial analysts. And, you know, we have a, a code of ethics and it has a bunch of words in it. And one of those words is independence. And it says that we should be independent and objective on behalf of our clients. When we're looking at an investment idea, we are trying to be independent and not be biased in the way that we look at it. And as I explained to most people is that if you come into the CFA program, chances are you, you aren't independent. You're a young person who has got, you know, things in your mind that you've developed over the years. And those things are structuring your way of thinking about life. But now you've signed an agreement that you're going to take this exam and try to become a chartered financial analyst. And what it says in this code of ethics is that you need to become independent. And I always tell them that consider this your independence day because the true independence is independence of thinking. And a lot of the young people think that what I'm saying is to be a contrarian, 
to disagree with what other people say. And in investing, sometimes, you know, that can work. But I say, it doesn't mean you have to oppose every idea. It means you have to think for yourself as you form, you know, your way of thinking. And the gift that Dr. Deming gave to me was the gift of being able to allow myself to think and question. And as a result, my thinking changed, you know, dramatically and it influenced me from those early days until today. Anything you'd add to that? I might add a quote actually by the chairman and CEO now retired of Ford Motor, Don Peterson. And his comment was that I love was everything we do, we do through people. It's from an independence, which doesn't, which doesn't work and keeps us having silos and barriers to interdependence where we work together to achieve great, great things that we don't always even know about today, but will help us create a better future. Mm. It's interesting. It's, that's a great quote and the idea of working together. If you think about the ultimate opposite of that is war. And war is when two sides, you know, decided they're going to fight. And how many great things came from war? Great things don't come from that. Great things come from working together. So that's a big lesson. Now, I want to go back and ask you this question, which is, there's young people out there listening who are at the development stage of their life. They've never heard of Dr. Deming. They've, you know, this is all new to them. What one action would you recommend that they take to avoid suffering the fate of just going down the conventional route and never questioning? Yes. Like you said, just to be a contrarian isn't the result that we want either. I mean, it's important to question, but question as a system, for example, if you have an aim or a purpose, what will what are we trying to accomplish? And what do we stand for? What are those values? By what method will we get there? So it is, there is strategic thinking and questioning that has to happen. It's not just go out and question everything for the heck of it. Understand where you're coming from. I think the, I think one of the greatest things that students can do, and we're all a student of lifelong learning, is to get some, do some foundational study. And that can be, if you love to read books, if you love to watch videos, you can find plenty about, you know, Dr. Deming or Dr. Russell Acoff, who's a systems thinker. On, on YouTube, you can, you can look at my website and mm. there are many resources there. I've got a bibliography, podcasts, research papers, not a lot of them, but they're focused. They're about mm. transformation or innovation. Begin, and, and one thing that I learned when I was first learning about Deming and so forth too, and of course I had the 
good fortune to be able to go to the seminars and hear directly from him. But really look at when you're studying something and it's foundational, it's a concrete, you know, say book or something, go back and look at the index. Who are the people that are referenced in the index or in the bibliography in the book? That will lead you to continual learning that is a foundation. So when, mm. when people want to transform their organizations, for example, transform themselves, I say you need a theoretical foundation. So otherwise you'll be grabbing at, at tools and management fads all the time. And for example, Lean Six Sigma, that's a, you know, it's crazy. One thing after another, got to get rid of tools that don't work. Mm. Yep. Fantastic. And, you know, this questioning of thinking reminds me of a book I read by Eckhart Tolle, which is the book called Practicing the Power of Now, which I, and in it, he has this exercise that, you know, I've read this book many times now, but the exercise of, you know, to observe your mind and imagine that you're just observing the thoughts that are coming out, you know, mm -hmm. and as you're doing that, you know, then try to observe it and then see if there's any gaps. And then you try to make the gaps lot wider. And then, but the point was, was that by asking me to observe my mind, he then asked, what is observing your mind? And when he asked that question, I thought, well, do I have two minds? <laughs> I, I didn't, I couldn't really grasp that, but it was a great question to make me think about the thoughts that are coming out of my head in a very different way. And I think that Dr. Deming was another person who presented questions and challenges to me that made me think about that. And I think, you know, I, I want to I wrap up at this point, but I want to, you know, close it out from my side by saying the questioning of conventional wisdom was the main gift that I got from Dr. Deming. And I wonder if you could just share what you would say, what is the number one thing that you can say that you gained from your opportunity to experience the man and his methods? I learned that beliefs and assumptions and practices that I saw in life were so harmful and we are, we're not aware. It's not that we were doing something bad or that any leaders or managers are doing bad things. It was just that we didn't really think about them. We just grew up going through this flow and we never questioned it. And so when I think, what are the most powerful things he gave me? There are so many, but I know one of the biggest is my son was about five years old when I met Dr. Deming. And my plan was that, you know, he'll go to school and he'll get the A's and the awards and whatever is normal, just like I did. But when I met Dr. Deming and I learned very quickly his focus on the joy of learning and to take away barriers 
that impact, that joy of learning, the way that I raised my son and the influence that I had on his school was a transformation. Beautiful. My son didn't even experience grades until he was in junior high. But by then I didn't care because his foundation was loving learning. And to this day, he loves learning. And that there is a beautiful gift. So as we conclude, Marsha, I want to thank you for coming on the show. And on behalf of Ace Dots Academy, I hereby award you alumni status for turning your worst investment ever into your best teaching moment. And I think you taught a lot today. Do you have any parting words for the audience? Thank you. Thank you very much for the opportunity. And I want to thank the audience for being open to listening and thinking and hopefully rolling around in bed at night, wondering, questioning. And, and I would also invite them to reach out, ask questions, even, you know, send me you know, an email if you're struggling or so I guess that's my retarding thing is um, I want to be, I want to be there for people and really help them through challenging times. Great. Well, that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow and protect our wealth. But we also learn to protect our mind and protect our health. Fellow risk takers, This is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stott, saying I'll see you on the upside.